the following program contains violence, sexual references, and adult themes. Wait, no, no, no. I mean, ah, I didn't mean that at all. We are Hottest 100s and Thousands, and we have taken control of your radio station. This is the podcast in which we talk about the songs that have been deemed hot enough to be in the Triple J Hottest 100. My name is David James Young. I'm one of the four voices you're going to be hearing for the next hour or so. Joining me once again is Nathan Harrison. Hi. Andrew McDonald. Yo. Adam Buncher. Are these songs too smart? You tell me. Maybe. Ooh. Ooh. Mm. I mean, what about patented forward cells? Mm. Stay tuned. Yeah, patented mm. indeed. Nobody mm. else can use forward no. cells. <laughs> no, we did it. Absolutely. All right, folks. We are returning to Germany. And uh, who else to welcome us back but the mayors of Germany themselves? All six of them. It is Rammstein making their return to the Triple J Hottest 100 at number 70 with links two, three, four. What's the German word for man? Hamburger. Hamburger. <laughs> yeah, Hamburger. Hamburger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's Mickey. <laughs> <laughs> Rammstein making their return to the Triple J Hottest 100, coming in at number 70 in the 2001 countdown with the song Links 2, 3, 4. Now, Adam Buncher is prepared at the ready with a flamethrower, with a full uh, chest thing. Like, you are looking looking great. You've got, like, (laughs) war paint all over you. Great look. Yeah. (laughs) You, you, the the Till Lindemann cosplay is just exceptional here. You. So, like, you you are born ready to talk about Rammstein. So, mm. uh, bang, bang, my good sir. My housemates are so mad that there's no, like, foil left. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I've used all the foil. For the record, fucking worth it. Yeah, <laughs> just walking around like the loudest fucking person. Yeah. Crinkling everywhere you go. Yeah, waking up the housemates at, like, seven in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you're going to the podcast today, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't go outside because it's just, it's too reflective. Yeah. Like everyone just gets blinded. Yeah. Like, oh, was that, was that this Sunday? Oh. <laughs> I was going to bake. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well. I still don't understand why podcasting is a costume thing for you. But okay. <laughs> Especially when I'm talking about Rammstein. Rammstein. And just a quick bit of pronunciation for, for you, David. Mm. It, it is Rammstein. And you can always tell in German... Uh, with an I-E and an E-I what it is because you pronounce the last letter. This is a, just a German pronunciation tip Okay, across the board. So it, it's E-I, it's Ein. And if it was mm. I-E, it'd be Ein. 
Because oh. E, I. Yeah. Here I am getting lectured on German by an Italian man. Like, <laughs> whoever said that this podcast wasn't cultured? Like, no one said. Who that. ever thought of Italians and Germans having some sort of alliance? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not me. <laughs> abort, abort. <laughs> schnell, schnell. <laughs> oh, you mean the EU? Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. 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 I was yeah. talking yeah. about yeah. the EU. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. All right. Which, I mean, like, that's a nice little segue into talking about this song, really, as much yeah. as as much yeah. as anything. And it's also uh, great to segue back to the last time that we talked about Rammstein, which was not even their own material. It was a cover of Depeche Mode and their song Stripped. Stripped. So this is the first time we're actually talking about Rammstein with their own material. I want to go back to that last time that we did talk about them, because one thing that we did talk about was the clip and the controversy that came around it. They were using footage for that clip of Olympia, which is a documentary made about the 1936 Summer Olympics, um, directed by... Lenny Reifenstahl. Yeah. Were they in Berlin? Yeah. The 36 Olympics? Yeah, right. Yeah. Now, it's a very controversial film because it's essentially operating, at least on some level, as a bit of Nazi... Propaganda. Nazi propaganda. And they, you know, used that footage in there, and, and obviously people were were a bit concerned about that. And it was already feeding into some concerns that people had about Rammstein and about where they lay in terms of whether or not they were fascist sympathizers. Obviously, you're dealing with an industrial band coming from a uh, a genre and a movement in music called the Neue Deutsche Hauter, which is the, like the new German hard music and so that there were there were legitimately some concerns and i and i believe that some of it was coming because there was an element of their fan base as well Mm. that were attracted to rammstein because they thought that they were you know on the same level in terms of fascist sympathies and this song is the direct answer to it so the direct translation of the chorus Sie wollen mein Herz am rechten Fleck dock. Sehe ich da nach unten dem Weg schlägt es links. Translates into, they want my heart in the right spot, but I look below and it beats their left. Mm. And it's a very clear statement to all of their fans, to everyone, that Rammstein are a left-centered band. They are left-leaning. They are absolutely not the fascist sympathizers that some people might want them to be. And it goes further than that, because that is actually... An interpolated quote from Bertolt Brecht from something called Einheit Frontleit, which is um, for the Communist Party of Germany in the 1930s. So it could not be a clearer statement. <laughs> yeah, they're not, not just saying we're kind of liberal. They're like, mm. yeah, we like the communists from the 30s. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. rules. Love yeah. to see it. Exa- exactly. And you love to see it even more because the way that they do it is still with this, like, really dialing up the industrial militaristic aesthetic of the song. It literally begins with marching feet. So so they are taking the imagery and sonics of fascism in order to publicly and obviously decry it. Mm. Pretty friggin' cool. Yeah, and, like, the title itself, right? Like, left, two, three, four. It's like a marching beat kind of thing. It's a marching beat. We're marching for the left. Yeah. <laughs> yep. 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 And so there it is. And I think it's it's particularly great for a, another couple of reasons because it shows that just because you're playing with an aesthetic doesn't necessarily mean that it's correlated to any particular message or leaning, mm. right? And I think that's something that is always worth seeing an example of. And that, as a song, stands as a microcosm for Rammstein's whole thing. And secondly. It's so, so cool to see a band directly addressing elements in their fan base that they don't agree of. 
yeah. and making such a clear mm. statement yeah. and not doing it in any kind of aggressive way, but just very clearly saying like, oh, this is who we are. you got to accept that that's who we are. And if that's not what you want, yeah. see ya. Fuck off. Yeah. 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 And not to, but not even like directly that, that aggressively, just saying mm. it's like, you, if you want us to be some other way, we're not. Mm. This is who we are. Yeah. Very, very cool. A lot of bands have kind of had an ugly part of the fan base that they've had to kind of stomp out. Um, there's a, like a documentary series on the band Madness that's hap- uh, on the, on yeah. the BBC at the moment. Sure. Um, and like they grew up coming through in like the late 70s, early 80s. They had a, a portion of their crowds that were like skinheads. Because they'd play with, like, the specials that obviously had, like, black members and shit. And, like, obviously Scar is, like, indebted to, like, dance hall and reggae music and all that sort of stuff. And these guys would just, like, come along and try and start fights and all that sort of shit. And Madness wanted no part of that. And they had to kind of stamp out that part of their fan base. And to their credit, they they pretty successfully were able to do that. But, like, yeah. yeah. If you see that sort of shit, like cropping up that's definitely a, a bold thing to kind of address well because it's like a commercial game thing it's just like oh you don't want to isolate any part of your audience mm. it's like no no i yeah. specifically want to isolate that part <laughs> yeah. of my audience yeah. and obviously we've had that with rage against the machine a lot surprisingly it just keeps happening it just that people what? keeps happening yeah people have listened to the band somehow for 20 years <laughs> and then discovered their politics yeah it's like, yeah it, it makes me think of because remember about five years ago just in terms of people questioning like mm. the the politics of a band or whatever. Yeah. About five, yeah, I guess leading up to the, the election. US election. Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift. Everyone was like, you're so silent. Like she just, compared to nearly every other big musician, she yeah. hadn't sort of set up a position. Imagine what it would have been like for Taylor to put out a song that was like, I'm a socialist. Yeah. <laughs> oh. It's not too late, Taylor. It's not too late. You know, That's you're, actually you're, what I knew you were trouble is about. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, you're re-recording Taylor's version. Yeah, Maybe yeah, it could yeah. also be the people's version as well. Just there saying. You <laughs> if, if you want to, Taylor. You know, truly being fearless means mm. yeah. standing yeah, up exactly. for the unions. <laughs> the love story is between her and socialism. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> With Taylor, she's, and this is, a major divergence from how good this Ramstein song is, mm. but um, we we will get back to yeah. that. Don't you worry. Um, but this is the leaning into like I'm half putting my academic hat on here because I'm writing about this for my PhD. But like, mm. she was like a major like like on like 4chan and like the alt right dipshit groups. She was seen as like this Aryan kind of goddess because she's because yeah. she's pale, she's blonde, she has blue eyes, and she's very attractive. So like, mm. so like there is a disgusting amount of fascist Taylor Swift fan art like her done up in like Gestapo uniforms and shit like that oh, so man. like so there, it was and it was so long before she came out and not even said I'm a leftist she just said I'm voting Democrat yeah, yeah. like and I'm not a weird racist guy yeah. Right? yeah that whole like saga like going back and forth with her team about posting about that yeah well that's the thing right yeah that's in her Netflix doco Miss Americana right if you haven't seen it like I would recommend it purely for that part because it's just so fascinating to watch like the team behind the biggest pop star in the world being like hey maybe don't do that mm. and she was just like no I have to do this reasserting her own agency mm. you know as much as we say you don't have to post, sometimes, yeah, sometimes, sometimes you, you do. have yeah. to post. But it's so fascinating, like comparing the Taylor Swift example to this Rammstein example, yeah. because there is like one of the biggest stars in the world who who so many other people have an interest in, mm. and and I, I use the interest in an economic term. And her music isn't in in its aesthetics. I mean, she played with country a little bit, yeah. 
Well, when she started, she was yeah, country yeah, pop. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I suppose sure. that plays into it somewhat. Yeah, because the country fan base in America certainly has right leanings like in, yeah, in, 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 yeah. in, in yeah, like yeah, the yeah. flyover states or whatever. Yeah, yeah totally yeah, yeah. totally but it's very different to I guess to to this example from Ramshamil and a little bit more clear cut yeah wherein they're like okay well there's there's definitely a big question here because of the aesthetics that you're playing with yeah. and they, they're self-governed in terms of being a band to the large part yeah, yeah. and also like there is an intrinsic thing and obviously this is like because like, I know that there are some wonderful like leftist movements in Germany and there always have been there are also some really terrible right-leaning movements in Germany and there mm-hmm. always have been but um because World War who is so part of everybody's cultural zeitgeist. Yep. When you hear someone yelling angrily in German, you, yeah. like, you, you think of that guy. I'm not going to even dignify it by saying what we're talking about, but you know who I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> That's why it's, it's so good for Ramstein to like so publicly, not even to say like, oh yeah, you know, we're actually not fascists, but to come out and like interpolate a communist anthem, yeah. like yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it, yeah. Whips. Yeah. it whips, it whips so hard. Yeah. I, I guess just like to, to close off on that though, the other thing that we have to deal with now that they didn't have to deal with as much then is now we have such clear channels to every single artist ever mm. yeah. via online mediums and you can directly on a whim, anyone, any one of the millions of followers that any of these bands have can directly just ask, what are your politics? Mm. And they either answer that or they don't, mm. and it's a statement either way. Yeah. But they're kind of forced to enter into that conversation a lot more than bands at this time were. I yeah. just think that's an interesting yeah, thing. Also now, with not, not that there weren't right and crypto-fascist movements in the 90s and 2000s, but like they're so much more visible now. That's it, that, Yeah, that's true too. The silence is complicity. Yeah, yeah that's true too. Very different uh, areas that we're dealing with, though. Like, uh, I, I just checked Taylor Swift's Wikipedia page. She has a subheading philanthropy, whereas in the same part of their <laughs> Wikipedia page, Rumsheen have controversies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is like a third of the page. Yeah. If the controversy is you being like, yeah, I'm like supporting communist movements in South America and mm. then my family doesn't like that. That's a fine controversy to have on your Wikipedia page. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if you have like a Wikipedia page that has like controversy and then under that decline. Yeah. Like, arrest. Yeah. yeah, arrest. Yeah, arrest. Yeah. Well, Tri- trial and subsequent yeah. fallout. Like, oh, don't lie. We, we're all messy bitches that love yeah. drama. We love going on people's <laughs> Wikipedia page and going immediately to personal life. Yeah. <laughs> For Rammstein, uh, I believe the, the rest of the controversies is they have like giant ejaculating dildos yeah. on stage. Yeah, all that, like that sort of shit. They're just, yeah. they're just a bit of a fan of you know, some things that some might yeah, yeah. bad taste. They're being a bit silly. Yeah. They're, just, they're yeah. goofs. They're goofs and gags. Yeah. But this, this actually ties into something super interesting about Rammstein is that... Oh. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. This is like a 20-year unlearning yeah. process. Right now. <laughs> but the interesting thing about this band uh, is how tied to visuals they are. I very rarely listen to this band by themselves because it's so linked in with either the hectic live shows where there's like flames and all kinds of crazy shit going on or the music videos, which range from hilarious to gross to some kind of combination of the two. I literally just listened to this song. It was weird kind of like for the first time in a while, judging them solely on the music. It's like, okay, go. Like, when was the last time anyone listened to okay, go just by themselves? That's surely you- never happened. Yeah, right? <laughs> in the history, in the history yeah. of okay, go. You go on the YouTube, it's got like into the millions. You go on Spotify, it's got like zero plays. <laughs> <laughs> but like, 
even then, with like the visuals kind of taken away, I still like this. I don't think it's anywhere near my favorite uh, songs by by this particular sextet from Berlin. That would be other songs that I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce, uh, lest I get well actually. <laughs> I don't know how to say well actually in German. Oh. Uh, well, actually, <laughs> is Einfach or is that simply? Oh, I think ein- Einfach is simply. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Okay. Yeah, no, I agree. But like, this, it's a pretty like in, you know, it's it's fairly by the numbers. Yeah. kind of. It's got that military kick. industrial. That, yeah. yeah, like that that weirdly thin guitar sound that mm, kind of yeah. crunches against like the pounding beat. But it's good. I, I I really like the build up over the chorus. It swells. Like, it's, it's a very big, commanding yeah. chorus. Yeah. yeah, I actually fully think this is one of like. The absolute better Ramstein songs, like yeah, the, cool. the, like because Ramstein are not a band that I go to very ever, like at all. Mm. Um, but which is interesting because you do like a lot of industrial stuff and a lot of German stuff. I, I think because their stuff is a it's a little bit too close just to like straightforward heavy rock. Yeah, right, for, sure. yeah, as a band. But this one, like again, it's a bit by the numbers. But that's that's all I want from them. Like it's straightforward, super fucking heavy. The chorus is great. The the links vul drivia is fucking good. Like mm. that, it, it, this, just like for for Ramstein, this fucking hits for me. I think this is like one of my absolute favorite songs by them. Yeah, cool. That riff is certainly really catchy. Yeah, you mm. know, it does a lot in terms of getting you into it. Mm. You you know, it's so rigid and taut and on the beat. Mm. It makes it really really easy to just lock in with it. And it's and it's powerful. There's a lot of energy that's transmitted through it. You mentioned the big day out, and yeah. we mentioned their live shows may account for why we see this song popping up in the hottest 100 of this particular year because one of their very first performances of this song was at this year's big day out. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, cool. And since then, it has become a mainstay of their set and played at almost yeah. every. Ramstein it's got to gig. be a live staple. Yeah. It makes yeah. so much sense. And that rules, I guess, not only because it's a sick song that would go off live, but every single time you go and see Rammstein, you are reminded. It's a statement. There yeah. you go. Yeah. As long as you understand German, yeah. like if you're if you're a German person mm. hearing this, you'd be like, "All oh, right, they're leftists." But if you're, all like, <laughs> oh, right, they're referencing Bertolt Brecht from yeah. his <laughs> 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 yeah. Yes, that that's Every- Brecht. Yeah, yeah. 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 Everyone yeah. in the BDO crowd is fucking exchanging notes. That's, <laughs> that's yeah. old Birdie B. Birdie B. Birdie B. that's why they where they got the name for the Birdie Beetle chocolates? Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> from Bertolt Brecht. I, I oh, think it might I be. can't wait to tell someone that when they're <laughs> <laughs> uh, Fun fact about those chocolates. <laughs> and, fuck, and fuck, we just missed the Royal Easter show. Know, God yeah. damn it. I was going to say, and thankfully, you see people eating them all the, all time. the time. They're such a popular candy that you can buy at any shop. <laughs> yeah. yeah, what's the deal with... They're, um, they're <laughs> what the, is the deal? What is the deal the, with the, the, the Birdie the, Beetles? So the workers, right? <laughs> 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 this is going to sound like I'm having a laugh, but I'm not. Birdie Beetle chocolates are the off-cut bits of chocolates at the factory. Like the, the bits that the, the chocolate that does the, when they're, if they're cutting the block of chocolate, yeah. And like that, that's why they're never uniform with their in, stuff inside. But like, and they sometimes have like a little bit of smarty kind of shell. They're the bits of the chocolates that didn't get done, and they just that's why they're only at the Easter show as well. That fits our narrative pretty well, I think. For us as people, no, no. In, term, in terms of them being like communist chocolates. Oh right, yeah. Like yeah. that's you know there's something yeah. something about something that. there. Yeah, it's workable. 
I forgot we ha- we have some listeners who are not Australian, <laughs> <laughs> so they're utterly bamboozled by this discussion of Bertie Beetle chocolate. Yeah. <laughs> the Germans have clocked onto us because they've found us talking about this band, yeah. <laughs> and now they're just like, "Did you know in Australia they have a Brecht chocolate? <laughs> <laughs> Can we get money from that? Yeah. <laughs> a Brechtian chocolate." <laughs> It's very confusing and sad to eat. <laughs> the rapper just says chocolate. <laughs> this is a chocolate. Is a chocolate. <laughs> you are about to eat a chocolate. You know, just to further alienate our listeners, we just made a Brecht theatre joke. So. <laughs> the real intersection of our fan base is like the people who are big Birdie Beetle heads and also into Birdie Beetle the theatre guy. Yeah. <laughs> just going off to the theatre to see a bit of Birdie Beetle. <laughs> Birdie B. <laughs> Oh, oh sounds, goodness Sounds me. sad. <laughs> <laughs> sounds socialist and instructive. Yeah. Um, yeah. Good song. Yeah, pretty it good. Is, isn't it? good yeah. Overall, it is pretty good. good. Mm. Enjoy your birdie beetle. Nine. <laughs> <laughs> Nine of them? <laughs> From the album Elva, this is Unwritten Law with Up All Night. making their debut in the hottest 100 of 2001. That is the song Up All Night. It comes from their album Elva, which did incredibly well, especially here in Australia. Sorry, did you guys check where... Where are we? We just did... Uh, we started episode seven. This is the one we're currently recording. It's true. Um, and we just did uh, Links 234 by Rammstein. Zipsy. Uh, which came in at number 70. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so does anyone remember what comes after that? I think we skipped straight to 50. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That saved us some time. <laughs> Psych! It was 69, bitch! It was 69 the whole fucking time! Yes, psych, everyone. We counted wrong. <laughs> yeah! Uh, it was a classic Hottest 100,000s prank. Good jape, fellas. <laughs> Nathan, what do you think of this song? Mm. Okay, so I have a hot take, but I would like to show my working before I take the thing off the. Oh, hot take. okay. The uh, the cloche is it a cloche or a or a or a white cloth? What are you What are you taking? Cloche. Yeah, you know when you got the when you've cooked a nice saucy oh, dish. That, <laughs> is that what that's called? It's called it. Yeah, the, the thing the, the, like the metal yeah, the metal thing it's that, a you, that you cover it's like a, a duck yeah, right. It's a cloche. Yeah, you cover your duck and only duck orange. <laughs> I'm happy for this to be a saucy dish, so maybe it is mm. a cloche. A duck orange. Mm. We are so cultured. Here you are talking about fucking duck oranges. I'm making 69 <laughs> jokes for the fifth year in a row. <laughs> <laughs> we got duck orange, brecht, krang. <laughs> All the big thinkers. So, uh, we have a very particular vocal rhythm in the verses mm-hmm. yep. that may or may not be reminiscent of something else. Really yep. amelodic guitar stabs throughout the verses and then a big chorus with a few sing-along lines. Yep. This is... It's not a poor person's version of the song because poor people have rights to deserve good music as well. <laughs> Thank this you. is a shit version of the Dismemberment's plans, What Do You Want Me To Say? 
Cloche or decloche. <laughs> decloche. Oh, the the uh, the previous postal vote yeah, of the uh, yeah. 1999. Yeah, down, mm. I think. Any reactions of shock that I have to that are immediately overcome with reactions of pride. But you talking about the just dis- you being the one you to of talk all about people. the dismemberment plan and not I. <laughs> you got me into that. Oh, yeah. oh Normally to him, yeah. to him to be the dismemberment <laughs> boy. Ah, <laughs> oh, time to feed us on Duck Lorange <laughs> in celebration. Let us sup. Scissor has been decloshed. <laughs> is, um, is it dismemberment plan day already? <laughs> What day is it today? Today? Dismemberment day. <laughs> and you are invited. It's like a bad version of that that I think offers nothing. I know people love this song and I know that this was big in Australia because Australia has very low standards for what pop punk we allow to be successful in this country. That's an ongoing trend of ours. Um, and, you know, yeah, if you grew up with this song or whatever, that's fine. But it's just like, it's nothing. I don't even hate it. It's just not. Interesting to well, me. Well, it ain't no dismemberment plan. It's definitely no dismemberment plan. I always thought that Unwritten Law were more of a punk band. Yeah, that's, right. That's the reason why I was was shocked at your Duck Larange. Yeah, right. <laughs> Probably more than anything else. Because I, you know, Nathan has had meat in about 17 years, yeah. so it's weird that he would cook a Duck Larange. Yeah, it's vegan Duck Larange. Uh. It's mostly oranges. Yeah. <laughs> it's just yeah. some oranges. It's, it's Larange, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, Can I get the Duck Larange hold the duck? <laughs> at the... Uh, Half time at the soccer game. Don't worry, guys. I brought some duck orange slices. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I, like, I never listened to Unwritten Law. This song makes me think they are the like the Everclear of the this round of pop punk bands. I think there's an Everclear. Vibe I mean, they well. both have similarly troubled frontmen that mm. have gotten quite drunk on stage and fucked shit up. So you know, there you go. Especially I, um, in Australia. So like, can you be in a punk band at this time without that? I mean. Yeah, there's like straight edge bands, like, you know, like Verse and shit, like, wouldn't have that sort of shit. But, like, any, like, not straight edge band, they're routinely getting pretty fucked up. I think the divide is so interesting because I I guess they're both um, examples of extremity, right? Mm. You know, you either go full in hedonistic. Yeah, yeah. You know, team drugs, or you go like. You could just have a tiny sip, I guess. Yeah. But that's that's not extreme. No one's. Yo, what's up with tiny sip? Let's see some movement out there. But not too much. Just, just a bit. <laughs> just a little bit. This next song is called Everything in Moderation. It's called Most Things in Moderation. <laughs> there actually is a NoFX song called Everything in Moderation, including Moderation. There so, you go. Yeah. Well, that's um, not. This song's um, a cover. Um, <laughs> but um, with this song, I got fucking like a less good version of Melancholin as well, I thought. I got like Melancholin vibes from this. Yeah, I can kind of yeah. see that. And, yeah. I, and I think it's, I don't love Melancholin, yeah, yeah. apart from that one song that has... The most nostalgic attachment in the world, which I won't bore you with the story. No cigars. Oh, oh no, but that um, was that penguins was and polar bears. Penguins and polar bears. Oh, penguins and polar bears. We talked about it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, oh yeah, got in the countdown, didn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. That was that was a beautiful chat. If you can't remember that, go back and listen to the episode. You know what number it is. I don't have yeah. to. I don't have to spell that out for you. And that yeah. was the the first song that Nathan and mine's high school punk band ever rehearsed. So it's deeply, deeply nostalgic. How but, good um, was it? Um, it was so good. It, like, <laughs> Why don't more punk bands have two bass players? Honestly. <laughs> this, this was fine. I feel like it, it absolutely has that sound of like early aughts pop punk kind of vibe. Yeah, big time. Major label era pop punk. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah. Like in the wake of bands like 
Blink 182 and Green Day. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. This is the kind of sound that you could easily get signed with. I'm sure I've heard this, but like as a reason I didn't remember hearing it. <laughs> Obviously, people do love it. They voted it and got it right in at the sex number, which is the dream. Yeah, um, specifically. Targeted campaign. Yeah, targeted yeah, yeah. campaign. Perfect of moderation. So that, let's vote a lot, but not too much. I can understand why if you found this when you were like fucking 14, it'd be a definite vote and a definite like huge nostalgia trigger. And I'm sure some listeners will have that will have had that experience and we're going to get like at replies on Twitter saying, oh man, I actually fucking love that song. And that's fucking cool, man. I'm like, we all have those nostalgia trigger points. Yeah. But for me, this was a, like, I'm with you, Nathan. It was a real nothingy mm, kind yeah. of g- generic pop rock song. You guys have the history with like quote unquote true punk, obviously. Yeah. You, you guys are true punks going up and Adam, you've always talked about like not necessarily having that much of a connection with this like kind of spectrum. So I'm mm. curious as to where you landed with this song. Well, I land, I think, a little bit more favorably than you guys because it's. I'm pretty okay with pop punk. It's when things are like you know that 80s more hardcore. 80s hardcore is a very acquired taste. I fucking love 80s hardcore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which which I haven't quite acquired yeah, yet. Fair. And and the more straight played punk stuff is still very much I love where punk went mm. I, I like I like my punk in moderation <laughs> yeah. I, like, yeah. I like punk influences in garage rock and indie mm. rock and in pop punk especially as for this one like I think it falls more on the on the favorable side of things for me like it's impossibly bouncy I think the energy's there I can picture a 3d modeled version of Tony Hawk <laughs> oh yeah big pro skater vibes yeah. I can see how there was a community that kind of rallied around it. And I really kind of like how this song is a song about how community is really important in in punk. It's a young band that is kind of like being self-aware enough to know how special it is to be young and be around your friends and have the freedom to do the kind of things that they're doing. And that's kind of wholesome. And I kind of enjoyed that hmm. in the lyrics. It's like, you know, it's it's kind of sick that we can stay up all night and fuck around and that we have that freedom. We can go to the skate park and... Big 14-year-old energy. <laughs> yeah. We're going to stay up all night. Yeah. yeah. We don't need a rest. Yeah. Amazing line. Put, yeah. Very brave to write, we don't need a rest yeah. in a song. Yeah. Put in Goldeneye, we're staying up all night. <laughs> yeah. Number what the Mountain do? I'm ordering Domino's. I'd actually love to do that. There you go. After five yeah, minutes, I'm like cracking a beer. Like, <laughs> <laughs> this is boring now, guys. <laughs> I really enjoyed the energy of that, and I thought it was I thought it was catchy and anthemic enough. Like mm. it's, it's not anything I go nuts for, but it definitely gets a pass mark. Yeah, Deej, where do you fall with Unwritten Law and this song? This is my favorite unwritten law song from my favorite unwritten law album. So you're actually you're a bit of a fan of the band then. Yeah, like for a little while when original members start like falling off. Like for context, uh, Scott Russo, the lead singer and guitar and occasional guitarist of the band, is the only original member of the band. Like he's the only guy that's seen the band the whole way through. Yeah, I haven't really engaged with the band in, in a while. Like, their last record was 10 years ago. But for a period of time, yeah, Unwritten Law were one of the, like, great white hopes of the, I guess, that melodic punk slash pop punk slash, like, major label kind of sound. And I feel like a lot of that is exemplified in this song. The way that it changes up the the upstrokes into that big bowl over rousing chorus throwing into that huge bridge with that just the the release of that yeah 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 just fucking gets me every time i also have like a a connection with this song because this is 
one of those albums that my cool older cousins used to listen mm. to. So everyone has those little figure, figures mm. for themselves, whether that's, you know, someone they they meet by chance or like literal blood connections. They always had cool new records and like Elva was one of them. And I remember hearing this song and just like, oh man, this is awesome. This is really cool. When I think of Unwritten Law, I think of that particular time in my life. So... Mm. You know, I, I'm always going to have that connection. None of what anyone has said is incorrect to me. <laughs> you know, like, because, so, yeah, so I'm, I'm not going to be, like, out on the... No, actually, you know, if you really listen to the song, you know, you really find what it's deeply about is socialism. You know, <laughs> this isn't going to be a Birdie Beetle revelation. <laughs> That's it, hey, like, because I, I don't like it, but I was like, yeah, I fully appreciate anyone that does and yeah. get why they would. I get not getting anything out of this as much as I I get getting everything mm. out of this. I kind of think exactly what you said, the experience of being a young kid and, and, and loving this kind of music and being introduced to it by other people of the same age or, you know, in at least in your community or your peer group that bring you into it. That's what this song is inherently. Mm. I had that experience listening to the song without having that lived experience. Mm. When I'm listening to it, I'm, I'm kind of already there. Mm. Um, and that's, I think, the thing that I really enjoy it. At the end of the yeah. day, it's a nice song that it came in at the nicest number. <laughs> it's very nice. It's real fucking it's, nice, dude. Yeah. So sick. At number 68, this is Blue Line Medic with Making the Nouveau Rich. their debut and final appearance in the 2001 Triple J Hottest 100. Yes, we have come to the end of the road so, so soon. Uh, Standing on my table. I said, yeah, oh, Captain, my captain. Before he's even introduced himself. Oh, Captain, my captain. <laughs> I'm Mr. Uh, I'm Mr. Medic. <laughs> uh, making the Never Rich by Blue Line Medic, their signature song from their debut album, The Apology Wars. Blue Line Medic were a melodic punk band from Melbourne, Victoria, Australia, fronted by one of the most underrated, in my opinion, songwriters to come out of this country in the last 25 years, Mr. Donny DeRoe, who, when he wasn't working with this band, also had a wonderful supergroup with some other great songwriters, 
Jamie Hay and Darren Gibson. Uh, they made a split release together called Tire Swans. And he also had a solo project around, I think, 2010, the record came out, called Ribbons Patterns, which kind of takes the, I guess, the energy of what Blue Line were doing and turned it into more of a folk rock, folk punk kind of thing. Yeah, if you dig this song in particular, then I would definitely recommend checking out the three uh, Blue Line records, but also checking out the Ribbons Patterns record. Yeah, so this band were around from around the late 90s, they split up around the mid-2000s, and then throughout the 2010s would intermittently get back together for various opportune shows. We're about to lock into like the Melbourne punk Poison City kind of scene, and that is a that is a village. Like it is a tiny village where everyone knows everyone. So like and like this is my kind of in. This is one of the first instances where like I actually know personally some of the people like involved. I met Donny when Ribbons Patterns played at Blackwire Records in like 2013 or something like that. We both sang backing vocals on a pinch hitter song. I've known this guy for ages. And also their lead guitarist, uh, Lombi, Adrian Lombardi, uh, who also briefly played second guitar for The Living End. I've known him for a while. He lives over in Italy now, so I haven't seen him for quite some time. But I love this record. The Apology Wars is such a fucking kicking record. They have that punk energy, but they drive home that huge sweeping rousing melodicism like Donny has such a distinctive voice he nails the harmonies and he nails creating a, like a ducking and weaving kind of vocal melody that never really kind of settles into one sort of thing like he'll be in a certain flow in one part and then he'll change it into another bit here you know and then like let one bit hang for a second and then fill up another bit with a bunch of words you know like i love that he kind of like writes like that this is like i said blue line signature song this is the song they're best known for and i feel like there's a very good reason behind that because it's just the perfect storm of what the band achieved in their time together they created something earnest and honest and working class and endearing and intelligent and honest and provocative and something that spoke to people. This is a band that has a tribute album. Oh, yeah. It's called uh, that Poison City Records put out. It's called Shuffle and Scrape and a bunch of like indie punk and folk and various other musicians uh, picked their favorite Blue Line Medic song to cover for this album. The impact that this band had on that scene and that community and people's lives to this day is still felt. I mean, I'm not surprised. If this song is anything to go by, yeah, that place in the pantheon and yeah. in people's hearts surprises me not at all. This was like a real what the hell kind of thing when I heard it because... I was interested looking at the facts and seeing that these guys, the one that really stuck out to me in particular was that they were signed to a, for a while to Fueled by Ramen. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is a really, really big American label mm. that was responsible for a lot of uh, emo stuff. Mm. We're yeah. talking like We're talking like Fall Out Boy, Panic, Paramore. Not at this point, but that's yeah. what Fueled by, Ra- uh, Fueled by Ramen would become. Yeah, that's what they were eventually famous for. Right, yeah. so these guys were there. And so I'm looking at this going like, oh, I'm expecting like some Australian emo. And I got that, yeah, in a way. As, as it's known, emu. 
<laughs> Unreal. But it was definitely more on really turning it into something uniquely Australian and, and, and coming at it from that punk sensibility. And listening to it, I just went, oh my God, like this is the dole wave movement <laughs> so far before that happened. Yeah. And I thought that was just like an isolated thing that came later. It's like I listened to this like this is fucking Camp Cope. Even down to the, the melodicism of the bass line, yeah. uh, the lyrical content, the take what you've got and project it out as loudly as you possibly can vocals, like yeah. the, the, the earnestness and the desperation and all of that. I definitely, like, I was like, oh, this is a musician's band. Because yep. I knew the name Blue Line Medic, but I've never listened to any Blue Line Medic. But hearing this is like, okay, yeah, I can, I can see your influence and I can, you know, listening to this song, I can see how much other yep. musicians w- will love this. It's, it's like I took a, a piece and just like slotted it in, having listened to this song of the like of the of the puzzle that is the Australian music history landscape. Yeah, and it just like yeah. clicked in. It's like I yeah. I feel like I've I've now just uncovered something <laughs> that is pivotal to seeing this a picture. A load-bearing band. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that. Totally new to me, but yeah, fully just like, when you said they have a tribute record deeds, like that doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah. It's real like one of those bands that like, just judging from this song, which again, I thought like was just fucking cool as shit. And I wish I found out as a teenager so I could have this huge nostalgic connection with this song because I feel like it's one of those songs. Yeah, for um, sure. I'm still glad I found it now, of course. But it feels like the kind of thing that if you know this band and you meet somebody else who knows this band, it's almost like a secret handshake. You're like, oh, you like you like these guys as well, right? Like, mm. yeah, you, you yeah. That, that that means you're a certain kind of person. You, that means you like a certain kind of music. I feel like one of those bands is like they're like kind of like a like a like a hidden secret kind of thing like that. Obviously, totally. M- many listeners may already know this song and might think I'm talking out my fucking ass for not knowing it. Well, a like, friend of the show, Spencer Scott, definitely knows it because his band Paper Thin have covered this song live. Oh, great! Nice. Yeah, happy birthday, Spencer. Yeah. On you, Spencer. Yeah. This is a delight to find. When we have these moments in the in the great podcast. Oh. Don't you love to hear it? I absolutely do. Every week. I do. Yeah. Every week I give him five stars. <laughs> I make I make new dummy accounts until Apple bans me. One of the things that's so good is like when we get to find these songs that are like hidden gems of like Australian rock. Mm. And we're just like, oh man, this is like like I would never have found this if I wasn't going through the countdown. Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And what other podcast does it? I think the listeners <laughs> get something out of it as well. They, they really do. When they get to find songs that they... <laughs> just jerking myself off with both hands. <laughs> yeah, much, much like Rums, r- 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 Rumstain would. <laughs> the Rumstain oh, Bears. Rumstain yeah. <laughs> Bears. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Is it Rumstain or Rumstain Bears? <laughs> But this feels like such a, a clear link between like something for Kate and Poison City Records or whatever. Sure, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. In terms of you saying like yes. a piece of the puzzle is like, yeah, that's I can where it fits. See all these things and this happening at this point. I have to say though, with this, uh, with this title, making use of French, we're definitely like the uplate on SBS episode. Oh, oh la la, mm, right? yes indeed, Rammstein. Mm. French, Dr. Ronge. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Brecht. I'm ready. Oh, let on SBS might see a titty. We're yes. almost definitely. Mm. We had what was the number that we just had, Andrew? Mm. You tell well, me whether we've seen a titty. Ah, uh, sixty-eight is this one. No, before. <laughs> 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 Actually, um, when when uh, we were like doing live stuff for the hottest one hundred earlier this year, and like the interstitial things uh, with the with Robbie McGregor. This is Triple J's hottest 
100. Um, he does oh. like the little voiceover things. He is a national treasure, one of the greatest voice talents this country will ever produce. Absolutely, 100%. It's just, my God. But I have a bone to pick with him oh, God. because he he did the content warnings for SBS, right? He mm. did the ratings for SBS. And the way he delivered it it's- was the ultimate feeling of shame and judgment. <laughs> <laughs> So, Channel 10, whenever something like radical was about to come on, just be like, this program is rated MA 15 plus. It contains sexual references, adult themes, and coarse language. And like, it was basically yeah, like a high five yeah, of yeah, just like, yeah, yeah dude, yeah. you're about to watch something sick. I like and then, Biscuit too. Yeah, <laughs> you'd, you'd cross over to SBS because you were looking for some late night titty. And Robbie, Robbie McGregor would come in and go, the following program contains... Sex scenes, coarse language, and adult themes. Uh, go to bed, David. What are you doing? You shouldn't still be up right now. You ought to be ashamed. <laughs> what would your mother think if she was watching you right now? She's gone to bed. You should follow suit. You should be a good boy. Like me, Robbie McGregor. I, I am disappointed that in the uh, selection of things that he was saying the program contained mm. he didn't say nudity <laughs> because the way he says oh, oh, i don't think oh, I, I, don't, I don't ever say nudity yeah. yeah it's always in my head it's always robbie mcgregor going nudity <laughs> we are very multicultural but now that we've talked about blue line aussie rock and robbie mcgregor we are right back into our aussie yeah. niche motherfuckers that's right uh so let's follow this up with a, an honorary australian why not adelaide boy adelaide boy at number 67, this is the solo debut of Ben Folds. This is the song, Not The Same. Coming in at number 67 in the 2001 Triple J Hottest 100 with the song Not The Same. This is from Ben Fold's debut solo album, Rockin' The Suburbs. Not rocking the suburbs because he does not have time for the letter G. And why should you? Too many suburbs. Yeah, you're too busy rocking the goddamn suburbs. It takes time to rock all those suburbs. It takes some fucking time, people. It does. And once you've rocked the suburbs... Yes. You are not the same after that. You are really not. Certainly not. No. Now, we have discussed Ben Fold 5 at length through several key singles across their trajectory that have entered the Triple J Hottest 100, peaking with number three in the 1996 countdown with their song Underground... 
since we last spoke about Ben Folds 5, they have split up. Amicably. Amicably. It was fine. Um, yes. Uh, they I'm, just not, I'm not mad. Actually laughing. It's, pretty <laughs> it's, it's actually funny to me yeah, it's to, actually be, funny to, to be unemployed now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Ben Folds has emerged as a solo artist. He went solo. Huh. Uh, I wouldn't have picked it. You know? uh, yeah. <laughs> out, of, out of the quote unquote yeah. five. Yeah. <laughs> Adam, yep. what, what is your take on Ben Folds now that he has stepped out on his own as a solo artiste? Well, you know what's nice about this song? Uh, is that even though it is just Ben Folds on his own, the other two are still here in a way. Robert Sledge is mentioned in yes. the lyrics of this of this song, being yeah. one of the other members of the five. It's but allegedly it wasn't, his party. But it wasn't actually his party. Yeah. It was Darren Jesse's party. Mm. Yeah. So that's all that's the all of them accounted yeah. for. But mm. some people's names sound better in a song. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Which is weird because they both have the same amount of syllables that's in right. their name. Hey mate, I'm writing a song about your party, but I think I might just change it to <laughs> To say that it's Robert's party, <laughs> it just like it just sounds better. You yeah. get it. You yeah. get it. We're all solo now. You get it. <laughs> Robert Sledge is just a cooler name. Yeah, that's his real name. I too. can believe he would have a party. <laughs> Other guy, Darren Jesse. Really, yeah. you lost me at the start of the song. I can believe he he would try and have a party. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah that's right. Hey guys, um, you're all clicked maybe on the Facebook page. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how much chips and dip I should buy. So yes. It wasn't a great party, though, by the sounds of it. Especially not for one of Ben Fold's friends. Uh, this is what the song is about. I'm going to switch into uh, to Ben Fold's quotes right here. I take it from the man himself. This song is the true story about a guy who climbed on a tree at a party. Later, after everyone went home, he came back down just after the sun came back, and he was a born-again Christian. He failed to mention uh, in this quote that he'd taken quite a he'd lot of LSD. LSD. <laughs> Weird thing to leave out here, Ben. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna jump in here and add that little part of the of the story. Um, <laughs> maybe maybe it's just a time where he just was just like, oh no, of course we were all on LSD. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, but none of us went up into the tree apart from him. <laughs> this guy went up into the tree, and when he came back down, he was a born again Christian. He broke all his records. I'm, I'm Ben again. Uh, just imagine this guy went up a tree and found Jesus. I was thinking, well, any action you take can change you. You are not the same afterwards. Some things have a big effect on you, others a little. Originally, not the same was going to be a list of things that can change your life, like you break your car, you get beaten up at high school, the the cool kids peach you up. Uh, in gym class, I'm trying to quote good shit. You know, uh, oh yeah, yeah um, oh, the rich yeah. kids had convertibles. You had, to, you ride had to ride bus. the bus. <laughs> <laughs> Just the little things that can change you. <laughs> the little things. The little things. The little things. <laughs> and you're not the same after that. Uh, yeah, but he ended up giving up on that and just writing about the tree guy. I, I way pre- like, this, this, this is a good song. Um, <laughs> I, I, I way prefer it just being about that because it, yeah. it, it feels like obviously it's personal to Ben. Yes, it's about a real thing. Yes, but there's something about it that you can click into, and it makes you like everybody has a thing where it's before that and after that. Mm. Yep, hundred percent. And you know what? It's just as weird to witness it happen to someone else, and it's even weirder actually than. Have it because you don't have the justification when you're watching. You some- don't know what mm. happened. Uh huh. Yeah. And that is, I think, what the energy of this song actually is. I really, when I hear Ben singing this song and playing the piano as he does, I really yeah. hear a guy grappling with, <laughs> "What the hell? What happened mm. in that tree? What? Mm. Yeah. How? Like, should Should I t- climb the tree? Is should, that, I, I, should I Should I not look at the tree? <laughs> yes, like- <laughs> Too, too much tree. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think the tree was the, you know, it was LSD it was in the, the tree. LSD. <laughs> <laughs> well, who knows? The tree was complicit. We don't, we mm. haven't seen this tree. Maybe the tree <laughs> was like. Maybe it was actually a crucifix. 
Shit. <laughs> That's a kind of tree. It's like in telling this story, I will call the crucifix call a tree. tree. Yeah. <laughs> I think it makes it a little less complicated. <laughs> can we, crucifix is a tree. Can we say that? Can we say that anymore? Wood, tall. Yeah. <laughs> but I think Ben's at, at his best a lot when he's writing with that specificity. Like, mm, I agree with that. Sure, too. yeah. Well, I, I don't think, have we ever heard a broad song? From I mean, like he doesn't specify which suburbs he's rocking. Yeah. That's about as broad as he gets. The angry dwarves and the solemn faces song is pretty broad. But that's still got really specific anecdotes about not getting the doll and and you know not getting kissed. You know. Oh yeah, true. Yeah, you're right. Um, but this is good. I, I definitely I feel like I miss some of the five elements in terms of like you know a bit of the raucousness and uh-huh. and whatever. But it's still like it's really lovely. There's like. Even just that vocal glide that uh, is yeah. so Ben folds. Yeah, like no one else is allowed to do that, just Ben. Oh, we'll come back to that. <laughs> You're right. It doesn't sound like Ben folds five. It's going somewhere different. And I think that's always, as a listener, something really interesting when you take a, a solo artist that, you know, their band has a very particular sound. Mm. And, it's, and it's this weird, like, oh, right. You don't you don't sound this, and weirdly for stuff like this, like it sounds bigger. It doesn't sound as raucous, but it also he's adding in all these production elements and all these other instruments yeah. and all these other things that you just wouldn't hear in the Ben Folds Five because it's not part of what they stand for and what they do. It's not their thing. Mm. And the the weird cognitive dissonance you get is you you expect oh one person smaller sound less people four less people. Um, <laughs> yeah. And yet, it's it's almost like conversely bigger, more expanded, you know, because you're a solo artist, you can bring in anyone and anything. It's just like... That was fully how his career went after this as well. Like, DJ will help back me up here. But like, mm. when you get to like Songs for Silverman or whatever, he's way broader in his sound. And I think that there's yeah. something about this that like, not that he was, not that he was necessarily immature in Ben Folds 5, but there is a maturity in this songwriting that I'm just like, man, like you just evolved as a songwriter so, yeah. so suddenly. Like, I know there's something so mature about this song that I think is really fucking good. I agree. Well, I yeah. think part of that could be the experience that he's talking about is the kind of experience that does make you grow and question where you're at in your mm. life. There's a maturity that is involved in evaluating this kind of situation. When you look at something else, something that someone else has experienced and you empathize with it, that is, if nothing else, maturity. And you go, well, there but by the grace of God go I. Like, things could change for me instantly. Mm, totally. That, that is, there's no better sign of maturity for me than that. You know? It's so fucking funny, man. Like, the specificity of this song is that um, I, and if my lawyer is listening, I'm now being ironic. <laughs> A major fear I had when I, like, did not do psychedelics. <laughs> One might have been fearful that I was going to, like, change my entire fucking belief system. Because right. I see, because th- one would have seen things that you're like, you're like, oh man, that's like, it's like the the big one that like everybody talks about. It, not not with LSD is um DMT, DMT. The, the machine like, elves do like a heavy dose of DMT, and like there's been academic studies, people from disparate cultures with no knowledge of what was going to happen, like 85 percent of people who do the heavy DMT dose meet the meet the little creatures behind the curtain, and like. <laughs> Like they, like they and like they reassure you kind of thing like that. Everyone's like nearly everybody says it was a very positive experience. Yeah, but they're just like yeah, machine man, elves I'm, are bros. Yeah, I'm, I'm met, I met the the space aliens behind the curtain, and I'm like, man, I kind of want to meet the space elf. But, but like, I, I wouldn't want to change my entire fucking belief system either because I I'm happy being blue pill. I'm, ha- I'm happy being really I'm happy being really miserable and scared mm. of death. So just don't, just don't if you were that. going to though, would you do it in a tree or a different? <laughs> No, I do it in like a public park. Okay. So then, oh, I, I really? Can, 
Dude, being, not a crowded well, it's one. Just, it's no. for the story because like people, someone's going to write a song. Andrew went to the park, no, and when he oh, came back you know from what? the park, it'd, it'd be, he was not the same. It'd be the um, the graveyard. Uh, like, yeah, that's, sure. That's, that's oh, like, that's yeah. very on brand for you. Yeah. Yeah. Andrew went to the graveyard. He didn't come back the same. Yeah, <laughs> he was a skeleton. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, that'd be fucking cool. I'd love to be a live skeleton guy, man. <laughs> it's Look the, it's, the, it's the dream. Yeah. Honestly, yeah, absolutely, it is. Yeah, it's the dream. Fucking oh, yeah. You could you could do the thing where you laugh and your jaw just goes. Did walk me through this uh, forward solo you gave with the vocal? Yeah, hmm. so uh, not the same has been obviously a staple of Ben's live shows for twenty years now. And one super interesting thing that has come up in live performances over the years is turning the audience into a makeshift choir. Mm. So what he will do is he will. Uh, point to certain sections of the audience and give them like a thing to follow. Just like teaching the individual bits and then getting them all to try it once and then like looking at them while he's playing to signal for this to happen. And I've been in the room a couple of times when he's been able to pull this off and like hearing like a huge choral harmony like in that bit is just... Oh man, it's some real goosebump shit. Hmm. One of the last shows I got to see before the pandemic hit was Ben Folds with the Sydney Symphony Orchestra at the Town Hall, and yeah, he he did the did the same thing here. It was also super funny when like he was like leading the a cappella bit at the end because I was in the front row, like, and then he's just like calling it up, and then it starts. He's just like. I know you're all singing, but I can just hear this one guy. <laughs> <laughs> I would leave the show if that happened to me. That would that would ruin my night. I'm not. I'm not without a word of a lie. Oh, dude, this it was it was a real senpai noticed me kind of. Oh, moment. really? <laughs> I oh. was just like, hey, man. I love this song. I love the storytelling. Um, the arrangement is super interesting for me because, like, when Benfold says he makes solo records, like he quite literally means it. So he's doing most of the vocals, he's playing all the piano parts, he's playing all the keys and synth parts, he's playing the bass, he's playing guitar, he's playing drums, you know? Sounds exhausting. I know, right? The way that he approaches it is obviously still, in a way, a bit of a hangover from Benfold's 5, in this track in particular, because, you know, like, there isn't heaps of guitar, and, like, the bass itself is taking more of a lead, and it's got the, like, just enough distortion and buzz on it to kind of toe the line between being the low end and being, like, a like a lead melodic instrument. And then just the, the driving kind of percussive element of the whole thing, like, Darren would kind of play like that as well. And obviously, you know, like, the way Ben plays the piano is like a full scale thing. I, I just love the way that this song kind of flows in that sort of sense. The way it comes together on, on the record is really cool. But yeah, hearing it like solo also works, but also hearing it with a full like swelling orchestra arrangement also works. Like that's the thing about the way that Ben writes, it can kind of translate and duck and weave through various settings. And it's still at its heart, the same, which is antithetical to the title. I, I love this song. I've got a lot of time for this song. I have a question uh, to for Ben about the dude. Well, I just want to know, like, is he did he did he stay on that path? You know, he said he wasn't the same after that, but was he not yeah. the same forever? Yeah, or did he, <laughs> the acid wears off and you're like, all right, there's no God. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the trees looked really fucking pretty when I was tripping, but now they're just regular trees or crosses. Um, <laughs> is the man on Twitter? 
He he is indeed. Yes. Uh, so maybe we from the hottest one hundreds account can uh, pursue the man and ask some questions. I'm just I'm just cu- Ben. I'm curious. Yeah. What happened, man? Where's well, you're not the same after that part two. He actually was the same after that. <laughs> <laughs> this year is the twentieth anniversary of the the Rock in the Suburbs record. I would honestly love to kind of pick his brain about like everything on this record. It's a very good record. Go and listen to it if you haven't already. That's that. That's another part of the homework. I'm going to just keep adding more and more homework. I'm a, I'm a very cruel teacher. What can I say? <laughs> All right, kids. All right, settle down. Settle down. All right. I want to introduce you to a new student to the class, okay? They've just moved here from the Big Apple, so we've got to be nice to them, okay? They've come very, very highly recommended from their school, and so... Who knows? Maybe they'll be the coolest kid in school here. Potentially, oh my God, I hope they sit next to me. We're pretty cool, so I, you know. Yeah. Well, I guess we'll see. All I right. No, look at their jeans. Oh, We're all wearing jeans. Hey, Not hey, like hey! Their jeans. Eyes up. This can wait until after class. Okay. All right. I wonder if Julian has a new best friend yet. <laughs> Kids, this is the Strokes. Hi, the Hi. Strokes. Hi, the Strokes. And Hi, the Strokes. Gonna, and for show and tell, they're going to show us a little song of theirs called New York City Cops. Coincidentally, it also came in at number 66 in the 2001 Hottest 100. <laughs> I meant... their debut in the Triple J Hottest 100 of 2001. Oh my God, like you you cannot talk about music in 2001 without talking about The Strokes. This is a band that changed everything. And we begin on one of their more curious cases. This is the song New York City Cops, which featured, then didn't feature, and then re-featured on their debut studio album. Is this it? Andrew. David. Yes. Um, Yes. One thing I didn't know about this song, apparently it was created as a pastiche of Aerosmith. I can kind of see that. Kind of like Toys in the Attic era Aerosmith. Yeah. I can't see that, but I don't know enough about Aerosmith. So (laughs) Aerosmith should be so lucky. (laughs) Is what what I think. It's very generous to fucking Aerosmith. (laughs) Very fucking generous. (laughs) Obviously, uh, David, you're entirely right. You cannot talk about early 2000s rock music without talking about The Strokes and particularly this debut record, this fantastic fucking debut record. Mm -hmm. Um I will firstly say I was late to the strokes. Like, obviously, in 2001, I was not really listening to a lot of music just because mm. I was a young, dumb idiot. When I was then into music, I was more into punk rock and I was very late to getting into the 2000s kind of garage rock 
revival sound. Yeah. Um, but then when I finally did give them some time, the record has universal acclaim for a fucking reason. After I listened to this song for the prep for this, immediately I listened to the record start to finish again. And it yeah. still holds the fuck up like a bitch. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, th- this song is a, like, you're right, it's a bit of a curious one. It's not like one of the, like, obviously it is a super well-known song. Yeah. Sounds a little bit different, but, like, it is pure fun start to fucking finish. Yeah. Um, it has a fucking punk rock ethos, and it just so easy to sing along to, and it exemplifies that kind of zeitgeist that was 2000s guitar rock. Which, you know, you could... Post the Strokes as being largely responsible yeah, yeah, for, fully, yeah, it's like hundred yeah. percent, yeah, it, it, it exemplifies us like guys because they made it that, <laughs> like, yeah, kind of, yeah, it's like they they put out this album and then everything was, everyone had to respond. We have to do that now, yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of all um, of that, please, yeah. yeah. Um, and also, um, it was written in response to a 1999 murder of a uh, black man, Amadou Diallo, by four plainclothes cops. Really? So that's the thing. Oh, wow. they're, they're being fucking punk. Uh, Julian said, Julian Casablancas, um, lead singer, s- lead singer mm, yep. and songwriter in The Strokes. Perhaps you've heard of him. Mm. Um, <laughs> very handsome man. He said that, oh, very fucking handsome man. Um, he said he wanted the record to sound like a band from the past that took a time trip into the future yep. to make the record. And that's exactly what it fucking sounds like. like yes, it does. Right? It's the 70s like and 60s to a certain degree as well, garage rock sound but done in a modern way. And like, there's a reason that everybody loves this fucking record. <laughs> like the production, his vocal performances, the, the guitar tone on this record. Yeah. I love that tone so much. Yeah. You were right, David. It was, um, because the record came out, um, in early 2001, I believe. Yeah. Um, yeah. and then when the September 11 attacks happened, they thought it would be in poor taste, being New Yorkers themselves, so the track was removed in from, from US releases and in current day it is back on there kind of thing. Yeah. And also, they performed it at a Bernie Sanders rally in 2020. <laughs> yeah, they did. In New York. Wow. Yeah. Doesn't that kick ass? It was so <laughs> sick. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. A, that's obviously just New York as fuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, so are, they are like as New York as the Velvet Underground. Yeah, Pretty totally. much. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, do you think they've heard the Velvet Underground? <laughs> <laughs> Man, this song just fucking wails, doesn't it? That just kind of raw energy, you know, just from the start with that feedback, you know, it's just like, oh, some shit's about to go down, you know, and then just fucking Fab Moretti coming in, beating those drums like they owe him money, just the boom, pow, <laughs> boom, pow, boom, pow, and then just the snarl of the guitar, like contrasted with the chime of like the pre-chorus and the mm. chorus. They were so good at making like nasty guitar mixed with really lovely guitar, like often mm. in the same song. They're taking so many different different elements of the wider spectrum of rock music and just boiling it down to something that was so distinctly theirs for a period. And that is what I love about this song. It like captures a a zeitgeisty kind of moment for the band. Yeah. And the thing that really always throws me off when I listen to the strokes, particularly from this album is the weight of the song. Everything just feels both heavy but incredibly ethereal and light at the same yeah, time. Yeah, totally. It's the mix of like Julian's vocals with that slight megaphone distortion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind yeah, of yeah, like yeah, a yeah. little bit off, but the bass comes in so heavy, the guitar can sometimes be really high and clean. So it's and every time I listen to it, it just it it feels a different weight to 
most other songs that I kind of listen to. That's the only way I can kind of put it. And I know talking no, about no, I totally get that. Talking man. about weight in relation to a song is kind of no, kind no, of weird, but that's the way I would kind of describe it. And the other thing, though, is is you're so right, Dave, when you talk about how it contains so many other elements of rock music yeah, boiled yeah, down yeah. to, and they are a, re- a revival band. And that's kind of really threw me when I first encountered them. I was young enough that. The idea of a revival band, I didn't have enough frame of reference to kind of get what that meant. Mm. So I'm listening to it and be like, when are these guys from? It sounds older than it is. And I couldn't get that. It just was a completely foreign concept. And that plays into the other thing that I think is so important when it comes to listening to The Strokes is hype. It's so impossible to talk about how hype people were about this band both before the release of this album and then after the release of this album they were immediately being compared to the greats as soon as this came out they were people just saying like this changes everything it's like an impact of music that i don't know i'm like i'm sure there are modern day equivalents but when you live through it and you experience it in context is one thing because you, you kind of see where it lands but coming back to it and being even slightly removed from context makes hype a very interesting thing to deal with when you are listening to an, a, a song, an album, a band that has no hype, you make your own mind up on it and then it either stays or it goes. But if you are listening to a band that already ha- is canonized, yeah. you know, however, however long that happens, whether it's like, you know, that's happened over decades or it's happened immediately upon release. If there's, if there's hype and there's momentum behind this band, you can not get it, but it's not going away. Mm. And that leads to a very interesting thing in terms of your relationship to that music because then you start to question yourself. You mm. go, hang on a minute. Do I actually like this? Yeah, do we yeah, see, yeah, that's, yeah. that's right. It throws things off in a really interesting way. And to a large part, that has been my relationship to The Strokes. Yeah. Because when I first started, I, I, you know, the idea of a revival and that kind of te- contextualization, I didn't get. And then there's this hype thing. It's like, no, no. Is This Seed is one of the best albums ever made. Yeah. And I'm like, right. Do I like it enough? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's good, but like... You guys are talking about it like it's the second coming. It's like, yeah, well, yeah, you know, yeah. like, do I have to go back to it? And the the tragedy of that, and this is how hype is kind of poisonous, regardless, right? Yeah. Is that I can never tell whether I've mm. whether I've conned myself into it, and I can never tell whether I've just like it's because of the hype it had that I gave it more of an opportunity. Yeah, 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 I, yeah, yeah, I yeah. Kept going back to it. You know what I mean? I mainly wanted to bring up the concept of hype because I think it's pertinent to the Strokes, but I yeah. don't want that conversation to make it seem like I don't absolutely love is this it because every time I come back to it the the genius of it all does unfold they have some melodies on that album and you know you can hear them in this song I think the song is as brilliant an example as any that will just get stuck in your head and 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 the, the, the decisions that they make there is a genius at work in this band that justifies the hype that they had. People yeah. weren't stupid. They they were hearing something that was there. That hype has always been a barrier for me, like really mm. properly getting into the strokes. Right. This is a really good song. This is, is a really great album. The kind of instant hype, and you can like looking back on it and the, 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 the kind of narrative about the strokes saving rock. Right. I just fucking hate it. Yeah, I, it, I, it, it I am with you there. It makes me hate music. Because of this discussion around it. Like, this is a really good song. No song, no rock song, certainly, (sighs) is that special. If you look at it, what you're really witnessing there is a bunch of people who really like rock getting excited that there is good rock. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm sure the average person was saying this as well, but it's it's music journalists. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah, right absolutely. here. <laughs> but You're hi- one of the good ones. Yeah. Oh, thanks. <laughs> hype is hype is I, I I was wondering like how much when we talk about hype where we that itself as an idea is grounded in this particular context as well. I think it still very much exists now, but I do wonder whether it's different. Um, you know mm. what I mean? Because of the, the breadth of listening and the accessibility of listening, w- yeah. whether it's uh, less tied into the economy of music, because hype back then was necessary to move units. I think it is. I think it's just different. The kind of music industry needs narratives like here is this band that have just appeared in New York and they, they are saving rock and roll. Yes. They need narratives so much like that. That it like it just kind of means it it doesn't matter. The strokes are great. There are like there would be hundreds of bands that we don't know about from the same year that were also like bringing a really yeah. amazing creative edge to a bunch of like revivalist you know Velvet Underground stuff. I can't imagine how many stories there would be around New York at this time. That's it, and, and everywhere. Like you know, you you go and see a local show, and if there's a good local band the difference between their songwriting and the songwriting of the bands that get on the list, you know, within a year of like yeah. the best albums ever is yeah. not that big. It's not. And if that band had the money and everything behind it, they would put out something that's probably at least in the same ballpark. Mm. And this is like, it's all moot because it doesn't matter. Cause yeah, and, you know, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like it, this is good. This is a good song. This is a great album. And when you love a band, that's real and that that's legitimate or whatever. But it's just like the Strokes. I think are the biggest example of like I cannot divorce them from the the kind of narrative machine that just like pushed them forward and said this this is the band this year. Everyone, we're doing this band because they're special. And it's like, well, they're not. They're very good. But everyone yeah. is very good. Not everyone. You know, we talked about unwritten law earlier today. But it's yeah, it's it's really frustrating, and it means that like oh, you know. I very rarely, you know, will listen to the strokes, but I'll put the strokes on and I'm like, ah, oh, this is good. And but and that's like all it is. I don't know. So the two opinions that I'm really interested in hearing from in the wider world are people who have absolutely never heard Is This It and come to it. I mean, ideally not even people who are listening to this conversation now because you've just heard how hyped everything is. <laughs> We've already kind of poisoned it. So I'm sorry, if you're listening uh, to this... Not very many people haven't heard this episode. So, <laughs> yeah. like. But if you... If you Heard is this it because you just saw it pop up in a greatest albums of all time list. That's already a little bit of hype, but it's still less yeah. hype than you're ever going to get any other point. And I want to know what that person thought of that album divorced from, you know, from, from the context of the largest point. And I also want to hear someone who heard it for the first time in context and is an absolute devotee. Because I think like I fall somewhere in the middle mm. of those two points. But like, again, this is mainly an academic conversation about interesting things that the Strokes as a band brings up. And I yeah. want to stress that the song rips. It's got a... It, it's a good song. The melodies are great. The bratty energy is so great. It, it's in, so inherently likable. And, mm. and like when it comes down to it, even now, no other band sounds like the tracks from Is This It. That's a, it's a, it is a, a sound... A lot try to. A lot try to. <laughs> mm. But when you listen to Is This It, it still stands out as a sonically unique... Mm. Album. Also, that that second Yelp at the start, very LCD. That's James Murphy being like, "I've just had an idea <laughs> <laughs> for a whole band." Yeah, yeah. Julie being like, "That's not what I meant at all." It's like, "Yes, that's what I meant. <laughs> exactly <laughs> I meant." <it. laughs> 
that brings us to the end of yet another episode of Hottest 100s and Thousands. Thank you so, so much for listening. We love you and we appreciate you. Before we get out of here, we are going to pick our favorites, our least favorites, and continue the ever-continuing story of Carryover Champ and Carryover Chump. Nathan, we're going to start with you. Uh, I made my case. The Strokes will be my favorite song from this episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I will hold on to radio as my champ. Um, un- unwritten Law, Up All Night, least favorite, not as bad as Good Charlotte. Oh, that's a absolute ditto from me, Nathan. My favorite is The Strokes, but my champ is still Avalanches. Least favorite, Unwritten Law, Chump, still Good Charlotte. My favorite from this week, I am going to go with... I, I reckon I'm going to go Blue Line. Just gonna, I'm going to back my boys. Shout out to Donnie and shout out to Lombie. I miss you, motherfuckers. Um, and least favorite, just because I had the least relationship with it, uh, I'm going to go with that German band <laughs> that we all know and love, the the Rammenstein Bears. Rami S. Rami S. But I am going to keep my chump, which is the shame of life. Uh, and oh yeah, I forgot that was a song. <laughs> uh, right, all <laughs> a chump. <laughs> uh, and I'm gonna keep my champ, which is "Imitation of Life" by REM. Yeah. Uh, look, honestly, yeah. What the hell? Like, strokes don't need more hype. I don't need to lend my favorite. You know, don't need to generate Bestow the hype. Stow upon them the treasured Adam touch. <laughs> That's right. Don't don't need it. But however, Blue Line Medic. Yeah. They can have a big old thumbs up from this guy. Hey. Yeah. Nudity. Um, <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, I think my... Blue l- light medic. Yeah, there Ooh. it is. There we go. Look my out. adult themes. Adult <laughs> themes. Uh, I, think, <laughs> I think my uh, least favorite is... Yeah, I'm going to... Yeah, like, I don't, I don't care enough, so I'll give it to Unwritten Law. Because mm-hmm. I can just, you know, Nathan can be proud of me. Always, I, you you I, don't need to try and make choices to impress me. I'm always <laughs> proud of you, Adam. Your support means a lot. Ugh. Always. Yeah. Both in the podcast and out. Um and that'll and but I'm keeping my champ and chump. Champ is at the drive in. Uh my chump is from episode one. Uh it is uh super heist with step back. It is. What up? <laughs> I'm worried <laughs> that it won't change. Yeah. And that it seems like a massive well, it's good to get the bad thing out of the way early. Yeah. Oh, for if real. If it changes, oh, that means there's something worse coming up. That shouldn't be worse. Not numerically speaking. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I guess we'll see. In, in due time. But until then, folks, on behalf of Mr. Nathan Harrison. Bye. Mr. Andrew McDonald. Good night. Mr. Adam Buncher. Cheers. My name is Robbie McGregor. Everything is good for adult themes. Thank you.